0: As you're heading to your seats this morning, I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, beginning with the first verse. And as you're, as you're opening your Bibles this morning to John chapter 1, I want to thank uh, Tim Ryer, not here this morning, but I want to thank him for filling in for me last Sunday, leading our meeting in between services last week. And as we look ahead to moving forward to a different facility in January, I just want to remind us as we move forward that uh, we've got a lot of heavy lifting ahead of us. There's a lot of excitement, and I uh, want to give us a lot of caution. Thing. I've heard the phrase, now we're a church. Thing. There's nothing more untrue. Thing. We've been a church all along. Thing. There's a church anytime God's word is being proclaimed. We're not any better or any worse over the next 30 to 60 days. And uh, no one is sitting at home right now going, well, when a church gets a building, I'm going to start going to church. Simply untrue. Thing. We've got a lot of heavy lifting in front of us of finding people in the city of Sioux Falls that uh, need to be blessed, that want to hear the message. And so we've got a lot of heavy lifting in front of us of reaching out and meeting people and uh, inviting people to join us at King of Glory. So I want to let you know I'm excited and full in. We're going to continue with two services, as Tim announced last Sunday, two opportunities for people to come worship with us. At the same time as fully excited want us to recognize We've got a lot of heavy lifting. There's nothing easy left to be done at all. Thing, Nothing easy to be done. And so I just want to remind us of that and keep us mindful as, as we move ahead. So we're thankful for all that God has done and looking forward to what God will do as we move forward. This morning we turn our attention and hearts to John chapter 1, beginning with the first verse. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word this morning. In Your truth in the Scripture. We ask that you take that truth and do a work in our minds and in our hearts. We ask that You'd capture our minds and our hearts with a vision of what You've called us to be, who You've called us to be. We pray that You'd refresh us this morning, reignite our hearts for the reason of why we're gathered here during this season. God, we thank You for who You are. We thank You for what You've done on our behalf. In Jesus' name, amen. Why? why i probably hear that question at least 10 15 times a day now we're in the why stage at our house everything you do is responded to with why why are you taking out the garbage well the garbage is full why is the garbage full well we've got junk food and we've got trash that goes in the garbage well why do we put it in the garbage well if we left it out it would start to smell well, why does garbage smell? Well, it smells, thing. Why do we put garbage outside? Well, it would smell inside. Well, why would it smell inside? Thing. Cuz it would smell after a while, thing. So daddy eats lots of junk and has lots of garbage that smells? That's the conclusion you draw from that highly intelligent conversation we just had? That's a lot of the conclusion being drawn around our house these days for a lot of those why questions. Well, this morning we simply want to ask the question, why? Why do we celebrate Christmas? Why Christmas? A lot of people draw conclusions of why we celebrate Christmas, and you can draw a lot of different conclusions of why there's Christmas. A holiday, we need time off of work. An opportunity to give gifts. Spend time with family, have some drinks, and an afternoon of games. There's a lot of conclusions that can be drawn for why. This morning, we want to narrow right down and ask ourselves why, according to God's Word, do we celebrate Christmas? This morning, we turn our attention to John chapter 1 for the why. And you read John chapter 1, and you might notice there's no manger, there's no angel, there's no Mary. There's no stars. So how is it possible that we can possibly get to the why of Christmas without all of that stuff? Well, John leaves out all of the sideshow. And John gets right to the point. You see, the Gospel of John was written for people that were just entering in and learning about Christ that maybe didn't come from the Jewish heritage. They didn't have any concern about angels, or Mary, or Joseph, and and John, you have to remember, was written as a standalone book. It wasn't intended that John was going to be the finishing of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John didn't know that it would be compiled with Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So John wrote, believing he was telling the whole story, that he was getting the main point across. And John knows that you don't need the manger, you don't need the shepherds, You don't need Mary to get the main point across. John gets right to the main point of Christmas in verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In other words, John is saying what's happened and why John is even writing the letter is that God is with us. This is the point of Christmas. God with us say it with me, God with us. It's got two parts. God with us. The first one, God. We're not celebrating that there's a baby that's been born. We're not celebrating that there was a family that had an opportunity to travel and did a really unique birth in a a manger. We're celebrating that the one who created the universe, the one who is superior to all created beings, the one who is Necessary for all created beings to have eternal life entered into our midst. Look with me, if you would, at verses 1 through 3 in John chapter 1. There's this little word play using the word Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In other words, this Word has existed. For eternity. Notice the emphasis here that anything that's been made was made by the Word. If you went back into Genesis chapter 1 and looked at in the beginning, God created. How did God create? He spoke. So the Word created, and now it's saying here, that Word, God which has existed for eternity, who is superior to all other creation, that Word down in verse 14, became flesh. In other words, God with us. Not only is that word superior to us, look look with me if you would at verse 4 and 5. This word, which is now referred to as Him, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. In other words, this word brings us life because this word is the light of the world. So this word is superior to creation, And this word is necessary for life. We can't build up enough the greatness and the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Sometimes during Christmas, it's so easy to get focused on the baby and the shepherds and all of the common surroundings that we lose the majesty and the greatness of the one who's in the manger. The manger doesn't give us the majesty and the greatness. It's the identity of the one who's found there. The identity is the one who is superior to all of us and the one who is necessary for all of us to have life. One of the greatest challenges for all of us is that too often we make less of Jesus. We, we push Jesus down to be a teacher or a prophet. We push Jesus down down to be a, a role model. When in reality, Jesus is more than a teacher and a prophet and a role model. Jesus is the creator of the universe. He's the word who's existed for eternity. He's the word who all things belong to. If we need to do anything, we need to magnify Jesus more. You know how sometimes when you when you do something to your children, maybe you've had your parents do something and you're children respond, or you respond by saying, why do you make such a big deal out of that thing? Because you you feel like, wow, that person just constantly keeps going back to that thing. Well, we should have people saying to us, why do you make such a big deal out of Jesus? The reason we make such a big deal out of Jesus is because He is a big deal. Because He is the Creator of all things. He is the one who all things are created for. At Christmas, we need to elevate the majesty of Jesus, the greatness of Jesus, because at Christmas, it's God with us. At the exact same time as we're magnifying that it's God, we're also magnifying that it's with us. This is, you can't put this in words. There's no academic way of explaining this. You can't, academically prove it it doesn't make sense it doesn't work with reason it's beyond us it's outside of us god the one who's superior and necessary for us became flesh and dwelt among us in other words tabernacle pitched his tent among us it's really saying in verse 14 that the god of the universe came and pitched a tent right in the middle of humanity you know how oftentimes that when there's a high king or someone who has a lot of authority or power is going to go visit a town or go visit a place, a lot of times they'll come and they'll take a helicopter ride to kind of get a view of everything. Or they'll travel the bypass and kind of get a view and say they visited that town. The absolute amazing beauty of the God who created this universe is that God did not take the bypass or a quick fly over creation. God entered right into the midst of creation the dirtiest of creation. And we can't emphasize this enough. God did not come and dwell in some mansion. God came and dwelt first in a manger. And then, and then, everything we know about Jesus from the Bible after that, God continued to dwell in the midst of the lowly. The best way of explaining it maybe is to think of just a little play on words. God didn't come and and dwell in... The Hilton. God came and dwelt right downtown in the middle of the alley. And this is the Jesus that we know from the Scriptures. God does not come and dwell with the high and the mighty. God comes and dwells with the lowly and the hurting, the worst of the worst. The beauty of Christmas is not seen in the glitz and the glamour of lights and beautiful Christmas stuff. The beauty of Christmas is seen when Christians are dwelling with the lowly because that is exactly the message of Christmas, that God dwelt with us, tabernacled among us. If anything, Christianity, the message of Jesus, is actually kind of against the high end. It's actually just this really difficult rub. Jesus rubs rich people really bad thing. He says, the rich people sell all your stuff." Jesus rubs religious people with really the bad way. He says, "Woe to you! You're twice the Son of a hell, twice the Son of hell than those people over there." God comes and dwells amongst the lowly, not just when he's born, but throughout his whole ministry. And then how does God finish his life? In the lowliest of ways possible. By taking the form of punishment that the worst of the worst received. This is the God, fully divine, superior, necessary necessary for life, who's also dwelling with the lowliest and the worst possible. We have to hold on to both of these. We have to hold on to that God is with us in the worst, And at the exact same time, this God is absolutely magnificent. This is good news for us. Because if you haven't noticed, our flesh is weak. That at the end of the day, our flesh cannot conquer the worst of the worst. And if God is not divine and superior and able to conquer everything else, then Him coming in the form of humanity does nothing for us. Our only hope is that the one who did dwell among us can conquer the flesh, that which you and I cannot conquer. And it's good news that God dwells amongst the lowly. Why? Because we have a God who is approachable. We have a God who says, come, we sang this morning the second song, song, come as you are. Jesus is not in the business of saying, get fixed, Get to this certain class of society and then come. But Jesus says, come as you are and hear his word of forgiveness. Christmas is all about God, the magnificence of him, his absolute superiority. And at the exact same time, that God coming and dwelling in our midst. How about us today? Do we live the Christmas message by dwelling in the midst of society? Are we willing to follow the example of Christ? To resemble the name of Christ and live the same way in which He lived. Dwell in the midst of the lowly and the worst of the worst. I would challenge you this morning. Study Jesus. Meditate upon Jesus. And find a place where Jesus is with the high and the mighty where Jesus is with the popular. challenge you this morning, find it. Or meditate and study upon Jesus and see where Jesus really dwells. And where will we dwell? God with us. The one who is superior to creation has come and lived in our midst. This week, when you turn to the glitz, and the glamour when you spend time down at the falls this week and the amazing light show when you spend time with all of the decorations at home don't forget in the midst of the glitz and the glamour the best way the story of Jesus is told is without the glitz and the glamour is in the simplicity of kindness and love to the lowliest of the lowly God with us not only though is God with us. When God comes to us, God does something for us. The beauty of Christmas is that God doesn't just show up and say, hey, I'm glad I was able to come for a little while and see what it's like to be a creature. No, God does something for us. Look with me if you would at verse 14, the end of it. Full of grace and truth. And then verse 16, and from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace the message of Christmas is that God with us and also grace given to us. Say it with me. Grace given to us. This is absolutely awesome that God's favor and God's richness is just poured out upon us. I don't know anyone that everybody gets excited about opening up a gift, no matter what age you are. No one's like, ah. Oh. Yeah, oh, crap. Just put this off to the side. I don't want to open it. No. I think it's horrible. Why are you bringing me all these gifts? Stop. Thing. Right? Open it. Bring on the treasure. Thing. This is exactly what happens at Christmas when God says His grace is upon us. It means His favor is just flooding toward us. At Christmas, God's grace is given to us. And what does that mean? We are going to turn to Titus chapter 2. Turn with me to Titus chapter 2. We read it earlier. Titus 2. You might think to yourself, why are we reading from Titus at Christmas? If you pay attention, if you're you're into the religious circle, you'll remember every Christmas season, Titus 2 is read from what's called the lectionary. A lot of churches follow the lectionary as a Bible reading schedule. Every Christmas, Titus 2 is read because Titus 2 tells the Christmas story. Titus 2 verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. This is it. This is what God does at Christmas. When God comes, He brings grace and grace does something. What does grace do? Grace brings salvation. We've made a terrible mistake with grace. We've turned grace into leniency rather than grace being favor and God's kindness. Grace, it's, <laughs> grace is not God saying, well... I think we just need to loosen things up a little bit. You know, as you read the Old Testament, it's not like God got down with the nation of Israel and go, went, that didn't work. Putting all those rules on stone and that temple situation, that didn't work. So I think what we're going to have to do here, it's not like God got together with the Holy Spirit and Jesus and was like, well, what do you think? Let's take a vote. Should we loosen things up and see if it'll work better? No. Grace is not leniency loosening up. Grace is God just saying, I'm going to give my favor. I'm showing my favor to the people and it's not dependent upon them. It's not dependent upon their works. It's not dependent upon their worthiness at all. I'm just going to pour out my favor upon them. Grace is God's position toward us. When you think of grace, think of it as a a position of favor. You know when someone is really against you, their back is just turned toward you? Think of grace as someone... Arms open wide, facing you. That's grace. It's a position of favor. We've turned grace into a leash. And now what we do is we have a competition. Believe it or not, this is a competition that's real. We have a competition between Christians. Who can be more graceful? So we say, we advertise, come to our church while you'll experience more grace. In other words, where we're just going to give a little more leash. Do you you study again, I challenge you, study Jesus. When did Jesus ever give a little more leash? During the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, love your enemies as yourself. On the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus never gave more leash. We've turned grace into a leash. And what's happened is, you know those leashes that you've got the button on that you extend a little bit more out? Well, At home, I've got about po- a two 100-pound labs thing. And those leashes with a little button thing don't work. <laughs> you know want to know why? They don't need the button for it to be extended, thing. They just take the whole thing right through the button, and then you, when you do push the button, it, they're gone. thing. That's exactly what we've done, thing. is we've, we've pushed the button a little bit with the world around us. And guess what happens with the world around us? Because it happens in our own hearts and lives too. We're like, oh, a little freedom thing. Boom, gone. Take it and run. Grace is not just letting out a little bit more. Grace is God saying, I'm favorable towards you. Here are my riches. Here is my kindness. Not and I'm just going to loosen things up to make it easier, easier on you. Because look with me again at Titus chapter 2. This is so important. Verse 12 now. So verse 11 says grace has appeared. Now verse 12 it says, Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So grace, what is it that's training us to renounce ungodliness? Grace! The grace that appeared is supposed to actually train us to pursue godliness. In other words, when God's favor appears, it's actually supposed to move us toward obedience to God, not put us in this gray zone of anything goes. At Christmas, we celebrate that God is with us, that He came and lived in our midst, but He came and lived in our midst for a very specific purpose to give us grace. And what does grace give us? Grace gives us salvation. This morning, we have a gift, not because of anything we have done, but because of the position that God is in. Look with me if you would at Titus chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 5. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. I I show this to help us understand the difference between grace and mercy. Grace is God's position toward us. Mercy is God's action out of that position. So I go to God and I say, God, I made a mistake. I'm not asking God for more grace. I can't get any more grace. He's already extended every ounce of grace possible on the cross, and through his birth, I don't ask for grace. What I ask for is mercy. God, I know you're in a position of favor towards me. I ask that you now give me what I don't deserve. That's mercy. When you're asking God for something you don't deserve, and then it's mercy when God extends that. When God says, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. At Christmas, God came and lived in our midst. God came and he's in a position of favor towards us. Now he's in a position where we can receive mercy, where we can receive this gift of salvation. Because God is for us, not against us. Christmas, God with us, grace given to us. Notice at the end of both of those is us. I mean, Christmas is all God, yet at the same time, I mean, Christmas does something to do with us. Well, what should be our response at Christmas? Our response at Christmas should be, we are changed. Say it with me. We are changed. Now, a lot of you, this is hard. Change is good. Actually, change is necessary in the Christian life. If you're opposed to change, you're opposed to Jesus. Because Jesus' primary message was, repent. In other words, change. You and I have to change. And at Christmas, we celebrate two changes. The first change that we celebrate is positional. Back to John chapter 1. Turn with me back to John chapter 1. Keep your finger in Titus 1. John chapter 1, verse 12. The first change that we celebrate is this. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. This is the greatest change that anyone can experience in all of their life. Moving from being a creature of God to a child of God. There is a major difference between being a creature of God where you are created by God to being a child of God where you now receive the inheritance of God Himself. At Christmas, when God comes to be with us and His grace appears, He actually makes it possible for us to become His child. This morning, this is the ultimate change that needs to take place. And it's not something we do, but God does to us and we respond to. Notice if you would there in verse 13. This change of becoming His child is not a natural change. It's not a birth. It's not a blood. It's not a will of the flesh. It's not something I can just decide today. But it's of God. God does it. God changes us and we respond with faith. This morning, we can be changed to be a child of God. And as we now are changed to be children of God, to experience that inheritance, there's another change that God also desires. That's a functional change in our day-to-day lives. Turn back with me, if you would, back to Titus chapter 2. So, it's not that we're just changed now where we receive the inheritance, but now it's also, God wants a functional change, verse 12 and 13. Again, training us to renounce ungodliness, putting away worldly passion. We're seeking out self controlled, upright, godly lives. In other words, there's a behavioral change in our lives as well. This morning, we need to change. But what. The reality is this. Most of us are unwilling to change until what? Last resort. It's the only thing that will work or it's too late. I mean, this is at least true physically thing for the majority of us, right? Until we're at the last spot, like, okay, I'm going to have to change this or I'm going to be done. And then you make the change. Otherwise, people would move into healthier lifestyles all the time a lot quicker, This morning, we would do well to recognize the necessity of the change we must make in our daily lives. The reason that it's a necessity is because the majority of the time our other stuff is not consistent with the name of Christ and the grace that's been given to us. This morning, change is necessary for you and I. And change is going to be difficult. It's not going to be a cakewalk. If you've ever tried to change a bad habit you know this but notice what it doesn't say in titus chapter two and titus chapter three it doesn't say hey grace has appeared it's going to let you do this but hey i mean if you can do it do it if you can't do it don't worry about it not at all it just lays it out there and says grace has come here it is pursue now godliness change is not optional This morning, if you're struggling with that bitterness, that greed, that anger towards someone else, it's not optional to move away from it. God says it's necessary to leave that life. And the beauty of it is this. God's in a position of favor towards us. Right there, grace has appeared. It's not like God's saying, hey, well, let's see if you can make this change and then let's get back together and see if we can work something out. No. God's grace comes first. His favor is upon us. Now He wants us to live in the midst of that kindness, pursuing after Him. But to do anything different is to be a hypocrite and to contradict the one who is extending grace to us. The message of Christmas is God is with us and that grace has appeared and that we are changed to his children, and now we are changed on a daily basis as well. The message of Christmas simply comes down to this. The message of Christmas is a God who has a heart that's outward, that wants to come and change our hearts, which are inward. This last week, we went off Christmas shopping with my young daughter, and We had to get two gifts, pretty simple assignment. We had to get a gift for brother and a gift for mom. So we entered into the store, and I took out some cash, and I put the cash in her little purse, and I said, this is exactly how much you have to spend, thing, and you have to buy something for mommy and something for brother, thing. And she was all excited, thing, gifts. And even at that point, she's excited to buy something for me. But I was like, no, don't worry about that, thing. So you get right in the store, right past the carts. And these people are geniuses, right? You start right there. You turn, she turns around. It's no longer mom or brother. It's like, Dora. <laughs> well, brother doesn't want Dora. Mom doesn't want Dora. She wants Dora, thing. Now, now remember why we're here. We've got to find something for mom and brother. Okay, we get refocused, move on along. We're kind of focused in now. Get into the next aisle. What's in the next aisle? Elsa. Elsa frozen. Well, who would have thought of plates with a frozen symbol on them? Well, they've thought of them at child height thing, right? While we're here for mom. Oh, that's right. Okay. Back focused thing. About an hour and a half later thing, we leave one gift for mom and two for self thing. (laughs) Not bad. Not bad thing, right? I mean, there were glimpses. There were moments where it was pure excitement, and it was. It was pure joy of trying to buy something for someone else. But then that glimpse and that moment changed really fast, mainly because Frozen was in every single aisle thing. thing. Now, that's a really good picture of you and I. There are moments, aren't there? There are moments where it's just like, zealous for good works, zealous for the glory of God. But then, just like that, that heart is turned right back inward, right back to self. And it's not frozen grabbing us, but it's something else grabbing us. Culture, popularity, acceptance. Something's grabbing us right again. That's us. That's our heart a heart that's turned inward. But that's not the heart of God. That's not the heart we see in John chapter 1, where we see a God who's created the universe and a God who does not say, well, what's in it for me here? But rather in John chapter 1, we see a king who says, I'm not going to consider equality with the Father something to be grasped, but rather, I'm going to consider nothing. I'm going to consider and take on the nature of a servant being formed in the likeness of another human being. What we see in John chapter 1 is a heart that is outward, a heart that wants to come outward and change you and I as well today. That we would no longer have a heart that's inward, but we would have a heart that's outward. Praise be to God that God did not wait for our hearts to turn outward. But praise be to God that today we celebrate God with us. Grace given to us. Praise be to God that because God is with us and grace has been given to us, we are changed. Now we can go forth and it's going to be a battle. The heart's going to want to turn. The heart's going to want to get right back in there. But praise be to God that God has given us new life in Christ and given us an opportunity to go forth and be zealous for good works. Why? Why get together this week? Why have turkey? Why buy gifts for someone else? Why rejoice over the little things in life? Why sing songs about someone in a manger? Why sing songs about going to a mountain and and telling other people good news? Why? Why? Because God has come and been with us. Why? Because grace has been given to us. Why? Because we are changed because of Christmas. Let's go forth and live out that change. Let's stand and sing together.